I'm Summer Falgiano, and you're tuned in to Badasses in Tech. Today, we're joined by tech badass, Captain John F. Barton. He's here to explain how technology has transformed aviation, along with why being a captain is the best job in the world. Well, I'm Captain John Barton, and I fly for a major international airline, one of the three big ones in the, in the United States. So it's either United, Delta, or American. And I've been doing it for, yep, I'm just short of 30 years with uh, my airline. And I flew also nine years active duty with the Air Force prior to that when I came on. So, <clears throat> and cool. I've flown, I've flown everything from, uh, uh, the trainer jets in the Air Force, uh, F-16s. I have uh, uh, just short of 2,000 hours in that aircraft. And then I've flown at my airline, the 727, the 737, the 757, 67, and the mm-hmm. 777. And I also was an instructor on the 777 at my company. That's impressive. And for what do those numbers mean? For, for those of us who may not be too familiar, what do all the, the F-7s and all of that represent? Okay, so Boeing is the plane that I've flown the most. My company also has Airbus planes, but uh, the Boeing 727 was an aircraft that was uh, developed in the 60s, 70s, and it pretty much was done by 2002-ish, somewhere in there in the major airlines. Uh, The 737, I actually fly that now, and you've been hearing a lot about that airplane on the news because of the crashes, and I actually got to fly that airplane, the 737 MAX, uh, from Hawaii to LA and back. Uh, So uh, I've flown that. The 777 is a big airplane. It carries about 300 people. Mm. So to give a comparison, right now I fly about 180 people around uh, on each flight. Uh, When I flew international, I flew about 300 people around uh, and flew to every continent. I've flown to Moscow, uh, South America, Buenos Aires, Sao Paulo, Beijing, Shanghai. Uh, I've been to Bangkok, uh, to Singapore. Uh, I've been all over the world in this career. It's been pretty exciting. That's awesome. Yeah, I'd say that's that's probably one of the... Uh the best perks of being able to fly. Um, I'm curious, I mean, are you able to pick your route or does that come with seniority? How does that process, how do you go about that? So so all pilots in, in the company are ranked by when they're hired. So there's one and it goes to 12,000 pilots. So as pilots retire, you move up the list. So I'm very senior now because I've been with the company for 30 years. So I get to do pretty much what I want. But pilots can move around. They can move if they want to be a first officer. In other words, the first mate instead of the captain on a wide body plane. They may find themselves more senior so they enjoy flying international. I did that for years. Then as I became senior enough to hold captain I and be able to hold good routes, uh, I stayed with captain. But I've gone back and forth three times in my career. I was a captain. Mm -hmm. I went to be, I was a captain on a 737, the smaller airplanes, went to be a first officer again on the wide body and flew internationally. Then I came back and flew a little bit bigger plane, the 57 Mm -hmm. and the 67, which hold anywhere from 180 to 230 people on those airplanes. Then I went back again to be a first officer and fly international. And then probably 2011-ish, 
-hmm. I went back to captain and I've stayed there. uh, And I don't want to make anyone feel jealous, but I only fly to the Hawaiian Islands. Oh, yeah, that must be that must be a terrible, terrible trip you have to take all the time. Well, yeah, that's that's cool to know that, you know, in this field and in this career, there seems to be a little bit of um, of opportunity to change. Um, you know, if you want to do international and, and maybe you're kind of over that or maybe a lifestyle change happens and you're able, there's some flexibility, it sounds like, which I know is, is very important for, for those of us in the job market these days. Look, it's a happy, it's a, it's a happy life. I don't think there is a better job in the world, bar none, than being a pilot. But when you actually become a captain at a major airline, it's, I, I can't explain it. You are in a position that's beyond any position. So try to imagine when I go to work, I walk into the airport. I have an ID that uh, goes through a database. I walk right through. There's no check. I'm, I've already been known crew membered. And I go to my airplane. I do my planning in the airport. Uh, basically talk with my first officer about fuel loads, the paperwork, if he's comfortable with the uh, with the flight that we're going to be doing, talk to the dispatcher, which works hand in hand with me to figure out our fuel load, the weather conditions and alternate mm-hmm. aircraft, I mean, alternate airports if we have to divert. And then I go up, show my ID to a customer service agent. They let me down to the airplane and I have the keys to a hundred million dollar airplane and no one, I've talked to no supervisor. I've talked to no one about doing this. I just fly the trip mm-hmm. day after day from city to city with really no supervision. So that's the kind of responsibility that's put on you, which is incredible, but it's yeah. also uh, it's empowering from the perspective if if someone's looking for something that they want to do and they like aviation or they like flying, flying is is something that you become your own boss even though you're working for another company. Does that kind of make sense? It definitely does, and and I like the way you put that. I, I feel like that's not something that I hear people talk about often when when they're affiliated with a a flying company you know that I don't really hear them say like oh yeah I feel like I'm working working for myself so that's a really fresh perspective and um I I feel like you know how do you manage that responsibility like how do you wake up in the morning and kind of prep yourself for for handling all that machinery and you know then there's safety that comes into it what what What's kind of your like amp up? How to how you get ready for for that? So so try to think about when when you start a job, when you started your career field, or and anyone out there, young kids that are starting your career field, you know nothing about what you're doing. You feel like you're lost. You're kind of a, a puppy to someone else that's teaching you at your job. And as time goes on, suddenly a light bulb goes on and you get it. You get what you're doing. And in the military, this happened, you know, flying fighters. You're going up and you're having to do maneuvers to fly against other airplanes. You, the light bulb goes on, you start to understand your job. And as you understand it, you build confidence and then you build a game plan for how you do that job. And the same thing happened in the airlines. It's kind of funny. When I left the military, 
coming to the airlines, I felt like I was starting all over, like I knew nothing. Mm. And I had to learn a whole new thing. By the way, in the military, you're just doing a mission. In the airlines, you're meeting customers, you're meeting customer uh, service agents, you're having to interact with all them. There's problems that are happening on the plane. So how do I gear up for that? I, I basically, I know my game plan of what I want to do, how I'm going to approach the job. I'm going to obviously show up for work. Mm -hmm. I have to do my planning. I talk to all the appropriate people so that I know that all the paperwork is in order, which of mm. course this paperwork is all on computer today. We can talk about how technology has changed uh, over the last 30 years. But yeah, once I get all of that information together, now I can start focusing on the little things, the safety briefings with the flight attendants, what we'll do if we have emergencies, how we'll handle security problems. And then I get into the cockpit or flight deck, as they call it right. now. And I basically, we set up the, the whole mission for how we're going to fly it. And we go through a very detailed briefing, the first mm -hmm. officer and I, on how we'll handle the flight. What many people would be surprised at is every time you fly a, a flight or a trip that has, say, six flights in the trip over okay. a three or four day period, you're with that person and the next trip you're with someone else. So oh, it's very important for the airline to train their pilots so that you do everything standard operating procedures all the time so that everything that I'm watching him or her do in the seat to the uh, right of me mm -hmm. is what I expect to see them do. And they're expecting to see me do all the things as a captain uh, based on our training. So does that kind of make sense? On, oh, on yeah. It's... Um, it's it's not complicated, but it is. My right. son came up to the cockpit uh, when we were on a trip, and he was in the back. And I said, sit down and listen to us brief. And yeah. he listened to the whole briefing on how we were going to handle emergencies and all the technical information. And later he said to me, he goes, I don't understand a word you two said to each other. <laughs> it's all like a different language. Yeah. Right. Which if I went into a financial group or into your job and watched you, I would, you know, I'd be a, a deer in the headlights uh, right. with blinders on. And so, yeah. So it's like it's a muscle good. that you build over time yes. and... Tell me a little bit more about your military experience and, you know, do you feel like thinking about people who are entering the, the job market now or who are interested in aviation, I mean, do you feel like um, it's required to go through the military or what, what are your thoughts there? No. Uh, today, there's several paths. So military is still a good path because... Um, right now, the commitment, and this scares a lot of young people, if they go in the military to fly, once they go through pilot training, they have a 10-year commitment. But I'm here to tell you it will take 10 years going through the civilian ranks to get to the same place as the military pilot. And that's if you want to go to the major airlines, you're going to spend 10 years doing it. Um, what's the fastest way to do it? Let me talk about one path. There are schools that are being set up. And on this note, we're probably going to have 500,000 pilots short by 2025. <clears throat> Most of the baby boomer generation mm -hmm. is retiring. And I, I'm giving you examples of Delta Airlines, United Airlines, and, and American as an example, most of their pilot force has been replaced in the last six years, up to about 35%. 
that's how quickly people are retiring. Mm. So how do you do it? Well, you go to the military route. It's a 10-year thing. You decide to get out and you could go to the airlines. Or you could do your 20 years in the military. You'd be 40-ish, 40, 42. Still get out. And I fly with a lot of pilots who are retired from the military coming on. And because they push the age to 65 for retirement, they still have a 20-plus year career in the airlines. Civilian-wise, I flew with a, a young girl. She started at 18. She got hired at our airline at 29 years old. She went to college. After college, she went to one of these schools where you pay $65,000 and they get you all of your airline tickets up to certified flight instructor. And then what happens is those certified flight instructors become certified flight instructors for the company because the other people are leaving to go fly in the airlines Mm -hmm. and they get their time up to a thousand hours or 1500 hours. They move to the regional airlines. And then after about three to five years, they get on. Now for women and minorities, this is a very, very good field to go into because the airlines want to find more women to come into aviation. They want to find more more minorities to come into aviation. And there aren't enough of them going into it. So they tend to get a little bit of a bump in the interview process Mm -hmm. and picked quicker for interviews. Uh, female and minorities have a very, very uh, good outlook if they if they want to do something really great with their life. Uh, and, that's promising. Yeah, and have a really good career. That's Yeah, that's great. What would you say the training process is like? I, I mean, you, it, there's a lot of years I'm hearing you talk about. So what what type of training goes into all of that? Well, a lot of pilots start when they're teenagers, you know, people who are a little more fortunate have money or kids who save up. And every time they save up enough money, they go and do a flight. And then they do have to, you have to get your college degree. Uh, So that's, that's a factor in there. And then, like I said, military, they do it all for you, but Mm. you're paying for it in a commitment to your country, which I can tell you isn't bad. I mean, People think 10 years is a long time. 10 years goes by like, you know, so smoke through a keyhole. It's it's so fast. Um, you, you won't believe how quick it went. And you'll look back on it and say, I can't believe all that happened. Now, military is is very hardcore. It's, it's stressful from the standpoint of there's a lot of washout. When I went to my pilot training class in 1981, I had to learn how to solo a Cessna airplane in 30 days. I had never had a flight in an airplane in my life, but I went in and I had a technical degree. So the Air Force wanted me and they were, uh, Ronald Reagan had gotten elected. They were pushing 2,500 pilots through the Air Force per year. They were building up to end the Cold War, which was what the 80s was about. But 70 guys showed up in my class. By the end of that class, when I got through with officer training, which is Mm -hmm. three months after that, only only 35 were still there. By the time I got through pilot training of that 35 that were in my initial class, Mm -hmm. 17 got through pilot training. And then out of that 17, I think maybe five or six flew fighter type aircraft like the like the F-16 here. Yeah, look at that. So. The, the Air Force does it for you uh, when you finish pilot training, 
Uh, the FAA looks so highly on military training that for $50, you go down and you get your commercial pilot license. That's it. $50, take the test. Now, yeah. a civilian pilot spends the money in a different way. Uh, they have to pay for it. And that route is 65000 to 85000 And they basically take you through a course and get you all of the tickets that you need for a career. So it costs, but hey, what does it cost to become a doctor? Or what does it cost to get your master's or your doctorate? A pilot, by the time they get to the airlines, uh, the major airlines, you're a doctorate. And and I don't want to demean uh, regional flying where you're on the little planes. Those pilots have, have uh, 70 lives in their hands. Yeah. Uh, I always compare pilots to if doctors are important with one patient in the uh, operating room, how important is a pilot with 300 patients in his hand? That's a great, yeah, that's a great way to put it. And I, for one, I mean, I fly pretty often. I've been international. I've been on the small regional ones. And it sounds like I've been on maybe some of the F-200s or F-350s. I clearly don't really know the, the terminology correctly. But yeah, I mean, as a passenger, that is the most, you're, you're thinking like, is how is this going to go? And for me, my biggest fear is the turbulence. And everyone says like, oh, that's nothing, you know, like pretend that it's just a pothole in a road that you're driving on. But it really freaks me out. So, yeah, and I'm sure um, I'm sure there have been probably a lot of just other people scared on planes who who don't really know, like how to react or or what's going on with with even the smallest bump. So. Right. Well, let me me help you with that so that you you won't be scared anymore. Number one. Turbulence pilots are always getting reports and they're always looking for new altitudes if it is going to be turbulent. I've been in very bad turbulence. Sometimes you just have to ride it out. There's no two ways about it. And one only one time in my 30-year career did I get on the PA to actually say something to the passengers that we're going to be all right. So That's promising. So I understand that that it's it can be bad. Here's an here's a little tip for passengers, so that you'll know this. Anyone that's listened to your podcast, this is a little a tip for picking your seats. The turbulence when it hits the front of the airplane, it jostles and actually gets worse as it goes to the tail. So the flight attendants in the back of the tail will be the first ones to call us and complain, even about a little tickle that's hitting the plane, because they feel it much more. And you'll notice that the people in the back of the airplane, and I mean towards the last 10 rows, are the ones who will get sick first. Mm. So here's my tip. Pick a seat closer towards the front of the airplane. It doesn't have to be first class, but uh, in economy plus or to the front of economy because the turbulence is worse as you go back in the airplane, if you hit any. Right, right. That's a good tip. So middle. Middle ground is safe. There you go. It's just like a ship. There you go. So tell me a little bit more. I know you touched on this at the beginning um, about the technology. I mean, I've, again, as a passenger, I just mentioned my turbulence thing. But then also, too, I'm I'm fascinated with what's going on inside the cockpit or the pilot deck. And, you know, once those doors close, uh, what's going on in there? And and how would you say that's evolved since since you started 30 years ago. Well, it started, it's, it's, it's gone even prior to getting into the flight deck now. And, you know, I talked to you about, we've gone from a paper uh, 
uh, a paper uh, evolution to computer evolution. So pilots do everything on iPads now. All of my paperwork is on an iPad, and I basically can look at my flight plan and all of the points. I can look at all of the weather and the winds right at right at the at my fingertips. You used to have to go to a flight ops and print everything out. Um, in the uh, uh, I'll I'll stick with this for a second. So when we get to the flight deck, now everything is is on an iPad, and that hooks onto a, a mount that's on the side of of your window. You have everything that you're going to plan with. You have your uh, you have your airport diagrams. You have your departure diagrams. You have uh, the uh, diagrams for uh, uh, landing at the next airport. Uh, you can look at all your weather and the route, the flight route, and basically zoom in on any city or any fix and uh, see how the weather's doing, uh, if it's snowing or whatever. And then you wow. can pull up. It's it's just it's amazing what's at right your there. Right now, uh, we used to all have all paper checklists for taking care of the airplane if we got in trouble. Now, everything is at our fingertips on a computer, and, and it's all interactive. So if I have an emergency, I can basically touch on that emergency, and it goes hmm. to the procedures to follow uh, for what we have to do, what switches to turn off, what things we have to think about. Uh, the airplanes themselves, when I started, <clears throat> all airplanes, excuse me, were what I would call analog. Uh, that that would make sense to uh, to your listeners. <clears throat> analog was round dials. They worked on gyros. Uh, they they had to be calibrated, and these instruments are what kept you alive if you were in the weather. Uh, you'd mm. look at them and have to trust them because all you see is clouds outside in front of you. So you're flying through the air at 500 miles an hour. And as you come into the terminal area, yeah. uh, going down to 250 miles an hour, and then uh, coming into the landing phase, 125 miles an hour, sometimes not seeing the ground until 100 feet. And now we do autopilot landings now. Mm-hmm. So we can set up the airplane. It'll come in and land, and we only take over after it's landed on the runway. That's so amazing. try to think the cockpit's going from round dials to glass. So it's like a computer now. Mm. When you kids can sit at home and fly simulators on their computer and basically learn how to be a pilot by getting a cross check down on how to do it, how to climb, how to level off, how to descend, how to land the airplane on a computer. Mm-hmm. And then when they really start flying, they've got a tremendous edge on everyone else who hasn't there was no way to do that uh, 30 40 years ago no you basically like had that. to get in an airplane and fly wow. go fly and, and learn it where do you think things are going from here in terms of technology? Well, this is interesting pilots don't want to pilots have their head in the sand on on where the technology is going but um one of the things that we all say is let's go back to the heyday, the fifties and the sixties, there were four to five pilots in an airplane cockpit. So you had a captain, you had a first mate, you had a relief pilot. Maybe you had a navigator, you had an engineer. Now technology has taken and made panels that take care of all the engineer stuff for you. All the pressurization is done automatically. Now Um, all of the air conditioning and, and all of those things are just, 
buttons that you push, whereas those had to all be manually controlled back in the day for the passengers to stay comfortable. And there were people who did it. So we went from five people in a flight deck down to two. And the only time you'll see more is when the flights are over 12 hours or over eight hours. Over eight hours, you'll see three pilots in the flight deck and they rotate out uh, taking a break. And on flights over 12 hours, you'll have four pilots and they basically break it out six hours break six. So Mm. six hours they're sleeping, six hours they're flying. Okay, so where's it going? I believe it's going to go to one pilot. And you say, well, one pilot. Well, one pilot could be up front. And the way they'll do it is they'll have a pilot on the ground who also is monitoring the flight. And if something happens to that pilot, the pilot on the ground would be able to take over the plane and bring Mm -hmm. it down and land it. In the beginning days, I think you'll have a pilot sitting back in first class there as a relief pilot. But once the confidence is there, after hundreds of thousands of flight hours, they'll get rid of that relief pilot. Cargo airplanes. Cargo airplanes will be the first airplanes to go to no pilots. So try to imagine... We do it already now. Drones are flown, uh, do do tons of our military missions. And it's been proven. I flew against drones with F-16s. So I went out over the Gulf of New New Mexico where you get to shoot a missile at an airplane. It's a drone, but it's a life-size real F-16 that's a drone. So the military's figured this out a long time ago. Fred Smith, who's the head of FedEx, he mm-hmm. wants to go this as soon as he can. And, and think about how they, they'd do it. You'd have an airport outside the airport where all cargo operations go in, land, drop off all the packages, uh, prime uh, UPS and FedEx pick up their shipments and take them to where they're going, and the plane takes back off. If the plane crashed, it's at an area where there's no right. civilians, no people. And so you're going to see it first there. Mark my words. And some people could listen to this, other pilots and go, that's gonna, never going to happen. Really? It's going to happen. Let's talk about it. Hey, you, you heard it here first. You <laughs> heard right. it here first. It's happening. Well, that's awesome. So what else is there to know? I mean, you know, for we, we've really covered a lot of ground. We covered the training. We covered the different types of paths one could take to, to become a captain or a pilot. What else is, is important to mention here? What else is uh, maybe something that... Um, isn't necessarily obvious, but really important to know. Well, I'm going to speak to your young audience because they're tr- they're trying to decide what they want to do with their lives. And by the way, I'll, I'll say this. I flew in my 30 years with a lot of lawyers who left being a lawyer to become a pilot uh, because it's that good a job. I've flown with pilots who have their medical degrees, in fact, one at my company was in charge of the entire training center, and he, he had his MD, but he was a captain for the airline. And so, so I'll say this. If you want to do this, it's not easy, but nothing that's worth it is easy in life. That's just the way it is. And you always look back, for young people, you always look back on your life and say, that wasn't so hard, but you know that it was gut-wrenching when you were doing it. You, you either prayed every night or you uh, talked to people and said, this is hard. And you complained mm-hmm. to your friends on the phone, but you Almost find gave yourself up a few times. Yeah. Right. But yeah. when, you, when you get there, you'll talk to people and say, 
how did you get there? And people say, well, it wasn't that a big a deal. It was a big deal. So remember, the word that I would say is the most important word uh, to, to heed and grab onto is perseverance. Perseverance is what I did. I did not, I had a fear of failure in my life. Mm-hmm. I never wanted to quit and I never would give up on something. So I saw things through. I've had failures in life and in things, endeavors that I've wanted to do in business things and stuff, Mm -hmm. but those were learning things. Those helped me grow too. But on anything that I did, even on those failures, I took it to a final ending where I had to look in the mirror and say, this just isn't going to work for me. Yeah. If you, as a young person, take that attitude, at least you'll know I guess I'll give you the best analogy. When the coach told you to go out, hey, Johnny, go out and swing the bat. Go out. All I ask that you do is give 100%. Yeah. And if you go out there in any sport, in any endeavor, any goal that you're trying to achieve, and you, and you don't succeed, but you give it 100%, you'll never feel bad about yourself. And I think that's the biggest thing. And then I'm going to tell you one last thing on for 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 at least on this subject. Um, my uncle, my great uncle Frank, so it was my father's uncle, but mm-hmm. they were close in age because uh, he was the youngest in that in in his uh, in my father's father's family, and they were close mm-hmm. in age. Uh, I have a nephew uh, like that, uh, twelve years uh, less than me. So, so the thing is, is he said when we were talking about what kind of job do you want to do in your life. He said a thing that didn't make sense at the time, but it makes all the sense now. Do something that makes you happy. Do something that makes you happy because think about it. You're going to do it your whole life. And you don't want to be, you don't want to be waking up every Monday morning saying, I hate my job. You want to love your job, so pick something that makes you happy. And by the way, if that's sweeping floors, then it is. If it's if it's uh, uh, working in a restaurant, then that's it. If what makes you happy is uh, uh, is being an electrician, a plumber, a carpenter, whatever that is, then that's it. If you hate going to your office job and sitting at a desk, then go out to an airfield and take a pilot lesson. See if you like that. There you go. I love that. I'm feeling very inspired. So I'm sure everyone out there is also feeling inspired too. And, you know, as much as I love my career, maybe I'll take a, I'll, I'll look into learning a little bit more about, uh, about flying, but no promises. (laughs) Right. Well, by the way, on that note, always have a backup plan. So whatever you're (laughs) trying to achieve, um, you know, have, go for a good degree that you can fall back on. Um, they, they have a, they kind of have a joke that, you know, when, when someone gets a psychology degree, uh, they told me, they said, I said, uh, uh, or they said to me, they said, I got my psychology degree. And I said, that's great. What are you going to do with it? And they said, well, the the advice is go get another degree. (laughs) So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's whatever, it's whatever you want to do. I mean, uh, you want to go to psychology you want to get your master's, your doctorate, you want to have a practice. Well, that's probably, that's your goal. Always stay learning, yeah. Yes, just keep learning and moving forward. Thanks for listening to today's episode. 
To hear more, check out our website, badassesintech.com, and join our community. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. So follow us and tune in next week. That about sums it up. I'm Summer Falgiano, and this is Badasses in Tech.